Good morning. By the way, today is the 7th of Adar, which means that today is the birthday and the yard site of our very first Rebbe, Moses. Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our Rebbe. He was born and he passed away on the exact same day. So today is a day for Moses. <clears throat> let's, remember, let's remember Moses. And very apropos, talking about Moses, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Moses in today's Tar Deep Dive. We'll talk about his, uh, one of his most uh, greatest accomplishments. That he gave us the Torah, he gave us the, the tablets on Mount Sinai. And we'll be talking a little bit about the tablets in today's Torah. It's a very interesting class, very, very interesting uh, discussion we're going to be having over here. Maybe a little bit different, um, a little bit of a different tone than usual. Uh, we'll be looking at something which was very dear to the Rebbe's heart. The Rebbe really cared about this, although you would think it's maybe a, a triviality. Is that the word? Triviality? It's trivial, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a detail. But to the Rebbe, nothing was ever trivial. Uh, nothing was ever insignificant to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe saw a lot of importance in this issue, which is simply how the tablets are depicted. The tablets. What do the tablets look like? If you had to describe the tablets, what do the tablets look like? Anybody want to go? I mean, don't worry. There's just, just how does typically the Jewish world Depict the tablets. What do you say? Anybody? Marshall, go for it. Stones with a rounded top. All right, tablets with two round tops. Now, where did those round tops come from? So you could think that that's Jewish tradition, that the tablets were round the tops. And something that bothered the Rebbe a lot is that in Jewish tradition, they are square. They're not round. And... If they are square and not round, we have to reclaim our heritage. And this is not just a detail. This is our tablets. This was the moment God gave us the Torah. This is at the very core of our tradition. We have to stop depicting it the way some Christian artists depicted it. And we have to reclaim authentic, the authentic Jewish depiction of the tablets. And this whole class can revolve around that. So first we're going to look at the verses, the Talmud, the way they describe it and it's very fascinating how the whole depiction of the tablets is based on the building of the tabernacle in this week's torah portion and then we'll go to the rebbe's commentary about it which is just there's so much to learn it's so rich how the rebbe cared so much and the sensitivity that the rebbe had in many areas in education so let's jump in in our booklets page one and this week's Torah portion is a very uh, technical. As you know, as a kid, I remember the Torah portion that I remember the most learning as a little boy is this Torah portion. The Parsha of Teruma, which describes literally the architecture, how they built every single one of the vessels in the Holy Temple. The menorah, the, uh, the ark, the, show, the table of the showbread, the two altars, and everything else, the walls, the... I just loved it. I don't know why. My brain had a field day with it. I loved learning about all the different colors, different types of fabrics, the patterns, the shot, the sizes, the shapes, the measurements, the dimensions. Uh, as a kid, I, that was the first time I discovered that I, I, I love these. Uh, I don't know. It just it really spoke to me, which I, I think most people would look at this and maybe say it was boring. But to me, it fired up my imagination. And I even went home and I made on my computer... Uh, some like 3D models of what it looked like. I was, I, was, I was having a field day with this week's Torah portion. So in any case, 
We learn about all of the vessels. God tells Jewish people, I want you to build me a tabernacle. I would like to physically live amongst you. I want to live with you. And I want you to build a building which will represent my presence with you. And whenever the Jews traveled, they had this tabernacle. And the tabernacle was where God, God's manifestation was amongst the Jewish people. And this was the epicenter, the physical epicenter of the relationship of the Jewish people and God. And this week's Torah portion, God gives over the word of God exactly what it should look like, every single one of the vessels, how it should be built, the materials, the dimensions, everything. Included is probably the most famous vessel of the holy temple and the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant, right? Thanks to Hollywood, everybody knows about the Ark of the Covenant. In the very holiest spot, the holiest room, the innermost chamber of the holy temple and the tabernacle, was a room with the Ark of the Covenant. So let's read a little bit about it. Let's jump in. Page one in the handouts. We'll begin with the verse from this week's Torah portion. And it says, You shall place into the Ark the testimony which I will give you. So there's an Ark. And it's very interesting. Everybody knows there's a big box. What's in the box? What's in there? So in there, the verse says, The testimony. What's the testimony? So Rashi, right away, tells us what is the testimony. Rashi, the testimony, is the Torah, which is a testimony between us that I've commanded you the mitzvot written in it. The Torah goes into the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was like a, was a Torah Ark. Till today we call it the Ark. It's used the same name, the Aron HaKodesh, the Holy Ark in a, in a, in a, in a shul, in every single shul, holds a Torah. And this was the Ark. A little bit more transportable. It was a box with rods. The Torah goes in there. The Talmud tells us more specifically. Source number two. From the Talmud of Minachot, Rabbi Yosef taught, this teaches us that the tablets and the shards of the shattered tablets were placed in the ark. So what was the first thing that went into the ark? There's a box and number one, Moses brought the Jews two sets of tablets. The first set of tablets that Moses brought the Jewish people, Moses himself destroyed. He came down the mountain. He witnesses the Jewish people serving the golden calf. We'll be talking about that in a few weeks, two weeks, the story of the golden calf. And Moses witnesses this act of betrayal against God, and he destroys the covenant between the Jews and God. And uh, which is a very deep story. He, he was really saving, saving face for the Jewish people. We'll talk about that maybe in two weeks. We'll see what the topic will be then. Um, so those broken shards, they weren't just thrown on the floor. They were collected. They were holy. They were special. Uh, and we held on to those broken pieces. It was put into the ark. And then Moses brought down, a few months later, the second pier, which was the ultimate uh, two tablets, which were accepted and received by the Jewish people, and those two tablets were also placed there. So the Ark actually contained the relationship, the marriage contract, the relationship between the Jewish people. That's what it held, the testimony. Okay, let's continue the story. Forty years later, 40 years later, the Jews are wandering in the desert for 40 years. The tabernacle is with the Jewish people for all these 40 years. Any place where the Jews camped, they right away built up. It was like a modular building, it was a modular structure. It was very easy to pack up, and it was very easy to unload and set up. 
Um, so the Jews always have the tabernacle. When they're traveling, they pack it up, they travel with it. And 40 years later, it's the Jewish people are about to enter the land of Israel, and Moses is about to pass away. Before Moses passed away, one of his final things that he did was he wrote 13 Torah scrolls. Moses himself, with his own handwriting, wrote 13 Torah scrolls, which were the very first Torah scrolls in existence. And every single Torah scroll that we have till today is based on Moses' Torah scroll. The law is you're only allowed to write a Torah copied from another Torah scroll. So this it's like a it's a parent and child. The ultimate Torah scroll, we're just copying off of Moses' Torah scroll. So everything, the look of the Torah scroll, the, the way paragraphs are split up, everything comes from Moses. Yes, Shelley. So, uh, so in the first, in the first uh, paragraph, he um, it's referred to the testimony as the Torah. But at that time, initially, it was the Ten Commandments, the two sets of tablets, the broken tablets and the new tablets. But that's referred to as the Torah at that time. At that time, that was the only physical representation, okay. which means the Jews were every single day learning more and more Torah from Moses. But a physical object that they had, there was no Torah scroll yet. The Torah okay. scroll was still in the middle of development. Was, they were still in the middle of being taught the Torah scroll. Okay. But 40 years later, Moses writes down the Torah. And then what happens? Bottom of page one, source three from Deuteronomy. This is at the very end of the Torah. The verse tells us when Moses finished writing the words of this Torah in a scroll until their very completion, this was when Moses completed the Torah, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of God saying, quote, take this Torah scroll and place it alongside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and it will be there as a witness. Oh, here he's saying take this Torah and also place it alongside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. What does it mean on the long side it? Let's continue. Rashi tells us, page 2. Rashi explains us the meaning of this verse. Alongside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, he says it was laid alongside the tablets inside the Ark. Oh, so now, when Moses finally completed the Torah scroll, now we have two tablets, one broken, one complete, and the Torah scroll. And this was what always remained in the Ark of the Covenant for generations, the original two tablets and the original Torah scroll that Moses wrote. That was what was inside the box. So I don't know what Hollywood tells us inside the box, but according to Torah, it's very simple. It was like a holy, it was a holy ark, a Torah scroll, and the two shares pairs of tablets. Yes, Marshall. So does the translation literally mean alongside what you're saying is places into the ark, not alongside the ark? Right. The wording of the, in the, in the Hebrew of the Torah, it's one word, mitzad, on the side. On the side of the, of the ark. On the side, does that mean literally outside of it? Or does it mean on the side of it, inside of it? So Rashi explains that when it says on the side of the ark, it means inside, on the side, next to the it makes more sense in the original hebrew the ambiguity there in english it does. <laughs> right but some by the way there is an opinion that it actually wasn't in the ark it was on the side of the ark but uh but rashi tells us that it was which we'll see the talmud discusses all this okay rabbi dubov yes where does the square come from we'll get that in a second 
Okay. We're not there yet. <laughs> like every good Torah deep dive, we have to slowly break the surface, slowly, slowly uncover layers. So it always begins with the verse in the Torah, then we'll go to Rashi, Talmud, you know, let's, let's start uncovering. Okay, my source for Maimonides tells us a little bit more about this uh, about this Torah scroll. He says like this: Source for, from Maimonides, preface to his Mishnah Torah. Moses wrote the entire Torah before his passing in his own hand. He gave a copy to each tribe, so it's twelve copies, and one copy, the master copy, was placed in the ark as a testimony, as the verse states: "Take this Torah scroll." and place it alongside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and it will be there as a witness. So, to summarize, with three things, when you study the, the sources, three things are inside of the Ark. A Torah scroll that Moses wrote, the set of tablets, and the set of broken tablets. That's what we got. Now let's go to the dimensions. The Talmud is going to be based a lot now wants to figure out the placement of all these objects. Now, dear friend's going to get a little bit technical here. Hopefully, it's not going to be too difficult, all right? What is the size? What is the shape of the ark? The shape of the ark was pretty simple. It was, it was a rectangular box. But we'll get the exact measurements here from the verses from this week's Torah portion. Source 5 from this week's Torah portion, Exodus. Says the Torah, They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its depth. Okay, a cubit is roughly a foot and a half. Okay? So let's just forget about feet. Let's forget about our uh, um, our measurement. Uh, I'm forgetting now. Our units. Let's speak in Torah language. It's called a cubit. The Hebrew word is amma. A cubit, again, is about 18 of our, 18 inches, a foot and a half. But the ark was a cubit and a half wide. A cu- two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half tall. All right, rectangular box. One and a half by two and a half by one and a half. Continues the verse. You shall overlay it with pure gold. From inside and from outside, you shall overlay it, and you shall make upon it a golden crown all around. There's a golden edge around it. So it was a wooden box with a gold box encasing it. A gold box covering the inside. It was like basically three boxes, one inside the other. Just like those, uh, those, um, those Russian dolls, right? That... Very closely, uh, very close layers. So really, the holy ark was three layers: an outer gold layer, an inner wood layer, and an even more inner gold layer, which made actually the walls of the ark pretty thick. We'll talk about that in a moment. Continues the Torah: I will arrange my meetings with you there, and I will speak with you from atop the ark cover, from between the two cherubim that are upon the Ark of the Testimony, all that I will command you unto the children of Israel, which this tells us that Moses and God communicated from the Holy Ark. God spoke, God's voice emanated from between the two figurines, which were upon the Ark of the Covenant. So we have over here measurements. And if you look at page 3, 
you'll have you'll see the measurements. Let's go to the Talmud. I remember learning this Talmud when I was 14 years old. It comes, the Talmud is Bava Batra. Bava Batra is one of the seven tractates, major tractates, which are studied in a cycle in the yeshiva system. The way it works in yeshiva, every single year there's another tractate, which all yeshivas around the world study the same tractate, and it's a seven-year cycle. So seven of the most largest, densest, strongest tractates are on a cycle of seven years. One of them is Bava Batra, which is the very longest tractate in the whole Talmud. Talmud Bava Batra, on page 3, page 14a, has a whole discussion about the measurements of the Ark. Says the Talmud, top of page 3, the Ark that Moses made was two and a half cubits in length, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits in depth, in height. These cubits were each comprised of six handbreadths. So the handbreadth is a much smaller measurement. So there's six handbreadths. I just wanted to try to remember these numbers here, okay? It's not that difficult, but it's a little bit technical. There are six handbreadths in a cubit. So if the holy ark is one and a half cubits wide, then it is nine handbreadths. If you look here at the picture, you'll see nine handbreadths width. 15 handbreadths in length because there's two and a half. So six plus six plus three. And the height is one and a half cubits and also nine handbreadths. So it's here in this image. You'll see it here in this figure. It's pretty simple. It's nine by nine by 15. You'll see in a moment why the Talmud is very, very particular about all these numbers. Because now we have to start fi fitting everything into the ark. We know that three things need to fit in. The Torah scroll and two sets of, of tablets. Let's now do some configuring. How do we get all those three items into this box? Any questions before we continue? It's a little bit technical, but it's also very simple. We're doing good? We're doing good. Okay. Now, the Talmud tells us the exact dimensions of the tablets. Continues the Talmud. The tablets were six handbreadths in length, which means exactly a cubit, and six handbreadths in width, also exactly a cubit, and three handbreadths deep. The thickness of each tablet was half a, half a cubit, three handbreadths. And they were placed along the length of the ark. Which means the tablets were put down, laying down, face up, inside the ark. Both tablets together are 12 handbreadths. Now just, you'll see right away, if you put the, ta the tablets inside of the ark, how much space do you have le left? You have three handbreadths left for the length, and you have three handbreadths left for the width. So if you lay them down, there's three, uh, three handbreadths of wiggle room. Half a cubit on, for, each, for each way, for width and length. And if you look, okay, so we have three left. Okay, was there a question there, Shelley? You just wanted to ask a question? No, I'm just trying to imagine the size. So the, so the tablets were rather thick. Very thick, yeah. Do we know the nature of the broken tablets? I've wondered about this. Did they break into like uh, smithereens or did they just break into like a few pieces? I'm going to guess it just broke into a few pieces. It's like stone. If it breaks, okay. So it cracked. I don't think it was like a, a massive mess. 
I think they broke. It was a few shards, but it was pretty thick, big pieces. That's going to be my guess. But I have thought about that. Like, you know, what did it look like? Did it, did it look like dust? Mm. I don't think Interesting. so. Interesting. Yeah. It was, like, it was like taking a piece of granite and you throw it against the floor. It's going to crack, but it's not going to become into, into, into you know, tiny particles. It will be a few pieces. So that's going to be my guess there. Do okay. we know that it's granite and that's like a stone? Like It wasn't granite. It was a certain type of stone. Um, so, so it could be. It was like some type of sapphire. I, we, we do know what kind of stone it was. It was a precious stone. We know what kind it is. And I guess somebody could maybe do a little bit of a... Uh, we, we maybe need somebody to try to do a... Uh, uh, how do they call it? Some testing. To literally create a, a physical representation of stones exactly this dimensions. Of I believe it was sapphire stone. Which is actually very expensive. But if you recreate the exact dimensions of the tablets... And then go on top of a hill, go on top of a mountain, and then throw it down, and uh, <laughs> try to see what the what the uh, what the damage looks like. Okay, continuing. Says the Talmud, page four. Think about it. The tablets consumed twelve handbreadths along the length of the ark, leaving three free. Because the full length of the ark was fifteen, both tablets together are twelve, so there's three extra. The Thomas says subtract one handbreadth, because there's half a handbreadth from either side for the walls of the ark, and that leaves us with two handbreadths. The Torah scroll is placed in this space. Okay. The Talmud says there wasn't really 15. 15 was the outside measurement, but the walls were each was very thick walls of the ark. Each wall is half a handbreadth. So really, there's only two extra handbreadths extra in the holy ark what was in those two extra handbreadths the torah scroll and if you look here at this little we don't know exactly the torah scroll that moses wrote looked like but if you look here at this thing you'll see the width of the scroll is only two handbreadths six handbreadths tall just as tall as the tablets were and then if you look here at the bottom we have a side view you'll see here what it looked like if it was a perfect fit the walls are thick so the length of the ark was 15, but really there's only 14 handbreadths to work with inside. Six for one tablet. Six another tablet, you only have two left. There goes the Torah scroll. We have a perfect fit inside. It said fit like a glove. Continues the Talmud, we're middle of page four. Now that we've covered the ark's length, let us now look at the width. The width was one and a half cubits, which is nine handbreadths. How much space did the, did the actual tablets take? Only six. There's three extra. Once again, let's deduct one handbreadth from the measurement because the walls were each half thick. So there's two extra. What was happening there with the two extras? There we have extra space. So let's read. Now that we've covered the arc's length, let us now look at the width. The tablets consumed six handbreadths, leaving three remaining. Subtract one handbreadth for the walls on either side, and that leaves two handbreadths. And that was empty space, allowing the Torah to be placed inside and removed with ease, according to Rabbi Meir. The Thomas is something very, very pragmatic. If you don't leave any space for leverage, it's going to be very, very hard to put things in and out. Like, you ever try taking something out of a box? And the box is inside another box, and it's so perfectly inside. 
it's like a struggle, right? <laughs> a good box, you also you you want you want to get put padding in there. But you also want to give leaf space. It's like they could put things in and out. This Torah scroll that Moses was was there that Moses wrote, it was actually taken out sometimes for reference. You know, let's let's check the master copy if there's a if there's a question. What's the correct spelling of a word in the Torah? So the Talmud says very pragmatically, two handbreadths were left deliberately empty, so like that the Torah scroll could be accessed, and even the tablets should be accessed if it was so necessary. And before I get to your question, Marshall, you can just look over here. Here on page bottom page where we have a side view. So you can see over here, you lay down the tablets. They are three handbreadths high. That's how much they're filling in of the depth. They are six by six. There's two handbreadths left on the side. There the Torah scroll goes. And by the way, there's additional height there because we also need space for the shards of the other set of tablets. And then if you look on the next page, on page five, you'll see that on the length, we filled in the gaps completely. But on the width, we have two extra handbreadths there to allow for easy access like that whenever we are handling with the Torah Ark and the whatever it contains inside, it can be handled with care. We have enough space for leverage, etc. This is the discussion of the Talmud. This is what the Talmud tells us. Okay, we have concluded our technical uh, dimension analysis. Marshall, yes. You got to unmute Marshall. Would the shards be put on top of the intact tablets or adjacent? That's a very good question. It would be on top or on bottom, not adjacent. And they were layered. That's pretty since clear. There was extra room if it was on top, it would make it top heavy uh, to keep everything on one side. It would make sense engineering wise to put it in the middle to balance it. That's a very, very good question. Um, we don't know exactly how this worked. So the best we can do is guesswork. And that's also part of the question. If the tablet's broke into tiny smithereens, then it would actually have to be like in some type of bag or something, right? Or in some box. If it was just broken into a few pieces, then you could even like reconstruct it even a little bit. And like, you know, put the pieces together and actually have it look pretty uniform and nice inside the ark. We don't know exactly. But what the Talmud doesn't want to show us over here is how at least at length, there wasn't an extra inch there wasn't too little, not too much, but everything fit in perfectly. It was a perfect fit for the for the tablets and for the scroll that Moses wrote. Sounds good? Okay. What's very clear here is that the Talmud gives us a square measurement. Nowhere in Jewish tradition will you find that the there was a rounded corner on any side of the tablets. And most importantly, and the Rebbe is going to show us this, and in the English translation, you could easily miss this. But the wording that the Talmud uses is that the, uh, was that the tablets were consumed. They were eaten up by the Ark. And from the wording of the Talmud, you see the Talmud wants it to be a very tight fit. Talmud showed that it was every inch was accounted for. And it uses that word. It's not just that they were in the box. It was they were consumed by the box. It was like they were fully captured by the box, by the Ark of the Covenant. So tells the Rebbe, this was in the early 80s, the Rebbe started commenting about this. And the Rebbe said that he's bothered by this. He's bothered by the fact that our tradition and our Talmud and our commentaries tell us that the tablets are square 
and Jew, Jewish people are running around making making uh, making curves. David didn't like that. And let's read it. I think there's so much to learn about the sensitivity and care that the Rebbe had over here to this issue. It's very interesting. Page six says the Rebbe, there is a matter that even religious Jews, and the Rebbe doesn't say even, the Rebbe goes straight after religious Jews, that religious Jews have been making a mistake about for generations already, to the point that it has become routine. Ironically, this mistake is made by Jewish institutions that promote Torah without compromises. The whole, the whole nature of this institution is to promote Torah, true Torah without compromise, and in the context of emphasizing the uniqueness of the Jewish people. And what do they do? Says the Rebbe, in order to illustrate their guiding values, every, every organization always wants to find a symbol that represents who they are. So if you're a Torah organization, you want to find a symbol. So these institutions include on their letterhead a representation of the two tablets. <laughs> and in their illustrations, the tablets are straight on the bottom, but rounded on the top in the shape of a semicircle. However, says the Rebbe, this shape is contrary to an explicit passage in the Talmud, in Tracted Bava Batra, as well as a number of passages in the Midrash. Which means I just gave you one sampling of one piece of the Talmud. But there's many places in the Jewish tradition where we speak about the tablets, and it's always spoken about as a square. And the Rebbe says Tractate Bava Batra is one of the seven tractates studied in all yeshivot. Which means this is not some obscure text somewhere scattered in some... Uh, you know, unknown tract of the Talmud. This is this is a primary text. And the Rebbe says the Talmud states that the tablets were six by six handbreadths. The clear implication is that, is that they were square with straight angles. That's what it was. Moreover, the Talmud states that the tablets were consumed in the ark. The Rebbe says the use of the word consumed seems strange. Are the tablets consuming the ark? Is the ark consuming the tablets? What's this word? The Rebbe continues, what does it mean? Top of page 7. What this means is that the tablets, which were six by six handbreadths, filled the entire space of the ark in which they were placed without leaving any void. That's what it means, that they were consumed. It was fully contained and there was no empty space. This is why the Talmud uses the word consumed, because the tablets consumed all of the space. This means that the tablets were square. If it, was re if it had a semicircle top, it would be leaving a lot of gap, a lot of empty space. The whole message of the Talmud is that it was a very tight, perfect space, perfect fit. And the Rebbe says, in addition, there is simply no source anywhere in the teachings of the sages that implies that the tablets had rounded tops. Which means you could argue that, look, the Talmud says that it is six by six, six handbreadths by six handbreadths. But, uh, but no one said it was a perfect square. Maybe it was still semicircle. But the Rebbe says, look, the simple implication of Talmud is they were square, and you will not find anywhere that there was a semicircle top. And the Rebbe even quotes over here from, a, from one of the great commentators on the Torah, Rabbeinu Bechaye, who lived almost, uh, you know, seven, eight hundred years ago, a medieval scholar. And he says clearly that they were square. Know that the tablets were square. He gives us the key word. This is source number seven, in the middle of page seven. Know that the tablets were square, six handbreadths in length, six in width, 
As the sages explained in the Talmud, the tablets were six in length, six in width, and three deep. So the Rebbe says, you know, if you if you are, especially if you're an organization representing true Torah, then don't put a, a, a erroneous figure on your letterhead, on your as your logo. Yes, Shelley. You mean like Art Scroll? Art Scroll. Uh, How many Art Scroll books do we have? <laughs> there were educational institutions. Um, there were a lot of organizations which would put the. Uh, you could probably Google like this is. This is like a pretty top logo to put on. You put on uh, the two things. A lot of organizations have. When I pack boxes to move, I never would put heavy objects in the same box as a fragile object. This is a very good point. In order to avoid damage. Did the the tablets never shift into and damage the parchment? If not, why? It's a very good question. How do they make sure that parchment, a Torah scroll, which is pretty fragile, is not going to be damaged by these heavy, massive, thick slabs of, of rock? of stone that's a very good question carrie i don't have the answer to that we'll have to look in the talmud and see if uh if if uh, either clearly in the talmud or if any of the commentaries comment about that that's a very very good question um but the essential point that we're getting to is nonetheless the shape of the tablets there's uh, there's a lot that we're not touching upon in the in the dimensions and in the build and the details of the holy ark any more questions before we continue Okay. Bottom of page seven. The Rebbe continues. Where does the mistake come from? Where does the mistake come from? Says the Rebbe. There is a simple explanation for how Jews came to draw the tablets with round tops. Due to anti-Jewish regulations, Jewish books were handled by non-Jewish printers. All the all the early Jewish book printers were not Jewish, like the Brombergs. The Brombergs were the first one to publish the Talmud. Printing houses, it took a few hundred years for Jews to start owning their own printing presses. So you're always giving manuscripts to non-Jews to print. And in addition, they, the books, were also subject to censorship by the non-Jewish authorities. We could do a whole class, fascinating history, on censorship of Jewish texts and the history of that. The non-Jewish printers and the censors would draw an image of the tablets on the title page or at the beginning of the book. And they would do so in the form that they were accustomed to, with round tops. So the non-Jews were the ones who came up with the shtick of round the tops. Continues the Rebbe in page 8, the Jewish audience that purchased the books didn't care much for the title page and the introductory material. The Jews didn't care that much for, you know, uh, what artistic uh, elements these non-Jewish publishers put in. They were focused on studying the contents of the book. That's all they cared about. As a result, they paid no attention to the fact that the tablets were represented with round rather than flat tops. And as the generations passed, this shape became standard in Jewish books. So basically, the first generation said, okay, listen, the printer put on rounded book. We know better, but who cares? You know what? But then it all of a sudden became systemic. And the later generations didn't even know whose fault it was. And all of a sudden it became that Jews make tablets with rounded tops. And the rabbi says, this is why I advocated behind the scenes, the rabbi made it his business to reach out, that a certain institution should change the way the tablets are represented on their letterhead so that they should not have rounded tops. This was an, or a very, very important religious organization in Israel. And it was very world famous. And their, their very logo was rounded. And the rabbi reached out and asked them to take a change it. 
you know, you're such a well-known organization. And, um, you know, let's, let's take a stand. Let's correct this error. And the Rebbe says at least the next time that they print a new batch of letterheads, the image should be with flat top tablets as the Talmud teaches. And indeed, by the way, I, I should have prepared this for you. You could find it online. This organization, uh, they said, yes, Rebbe, next time that we print our letterhead, we will correct our logo. And indeed, you could see that they used to have a logo with the round, and now it's with, till today, it's square because Rebbe said he made it his business to ask them a favor. Let's bring back the authentic Jewish, Jewish understand, the Jewish depiction. Oh, here we go. You ready for this? I want to show this to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. Oh, the rabbinate. It was the rabbinate of Israel. The very rabbinate of Israel changed your logo thanks to the rabbi. Let me find here. Here we go. Here we go. The rabbinate of Israel used to have... There we go. That's who it was. So on the left side is what their old logo yeah. used to be. And you see, it says the chief rabbinate of Israel. And the rabbi asked them personal favor to change it, and they changed it. On the right side, they put the square, the square, uh, the square tablets. And here we have, a on the bottom of page 8, a letter from the Rebbe. From many, many years before the Rebbe spoke about this publicly. And I don't know if this is the case, the letter that the Rebbe is referring to in the talk that we just read. The talk that we just read is from 1981. This letter is probably from the early 70s, so 10 years earlier. This is what the Rebbe writes. Source 8 on bottom of page 8. Says the Rebbe, I would like to take this opportunity to raise with you what I've noticed on some of the publications of your party, depictions of tablets with rounded tops. This shape is rooted in non-Jewish culture and contradicts the words of our sages that they were six in length and six in width and three in depth. In our publication, says the Rebbe, especially those for children, we are precise in this regard, see attached. So over here you will see this is the very top of a, a publication that the Rebbe himself I worked on publishing beginning in the 1940s, and it went all the way to the late 1980s, a monthly a pamphlet for Jewish children. It was called Talks and Tales. And the Rebbe himself personally commissioned in the 1940s a young Jewish artist to make the cover page. And you'll see, this is only the top of the cover page. It has the square tablets on the corner. The Rebbe says, like, look, you know, we made sure to be careful about this. I want to encourage you to do it as well especially for children. And the Rebbe's going to say something so interesting. The Rebbe says, children need to know that we are telling them the truth. It is so important that children get a sense that their parents and that their educators and that their tradition is rooted in truth. The worst thing for a child is to put them under the impression that this is reality and then at some point in life they wake up and they realize, uh-uh, it's not the way I was taught. It's different. And the Rebbe was so sensitive to this. The Rebbe said, our children are going to grow up seeing round the tablets, and then they're going to read a piece of Talmud, and then they're going to discover that the whole Jewish world, their parents, their educators, their institutions, misled them in, the, in what the tablets looked like. And the Rebbe said, we have to be so sensitive, especially for the purposes of education. And on a personal level, I feel that this is so... This is what impresses me the most, on a personal level. How careful the Rebbe was with the... What is the impression we're giving children? And are we going to be turning off our children by giving them a, a, a sense of disappointment? I was misled as a child. My, my own school, my own teachers misled me. They said it was round, and now I look in the Talmud, and it's not. And look, I'll just tell you, I was 14 when I read this piece of Talmud. I could, I could still tell you which table I was sitting at. 
in my yeshiva when I read this specific piece of Talmud. I remember it like yesterday. I'm not that old of a man, but still, you know, most things I can't remember learning when I was 14, especially exactly where I was sitting. <laughs> but I, I remember learning this. I ever said, the child's going to learn this, and they're going to all of a sudden realize that my, my, my whole religion misled me. And that, that all of a sudden pokes a hole in the whole value system that you taught this child. So it's unbelievable how sensitive there ever was to this point. Page 9, top of page 9. The role of a proper Jewish school is to protect the children from outside influences and to teach the children all of your actions should be for the sake of heaven and to know God in all your ways. Which means we want to give children an authentic connection to Judaism, an untainted connection to Judaism. And says the Rebbe, yet, when they illustrate the tablets, which include the entire Torah, this is the representation of the whole Torah on the official school stationery, they do so contrary to the Talmud. What message are you giving your children when you do that? As we have established, according to the Talmud, the tablets must have been square, not with round tops. And this is clearly stated in Tractate Bava Batra. Again, a tractate studied in all yeshivot. And the Rebbe says there's actually a rabbi from Be'er Sheva in Israel, not a follower of Chabad. So this is not, a, this is not just a, a party line rabbi, a separate rabbi, independently, who recently published a book in which he on his own, demonstrates that based on the Talmud, the tablets must have been square without round tops. And this author, says the Rebbe, concludes by expressing his bewilderment with the common practice of drawing the tablets with round tops rather than following the specifications of the Talmud. So the Rebbe says, not only me, <laughs> there's another rabbi, independently of me, who did his own, he, he published a book, and he also realized that what's going on over here? How could it be that we are buying into this non-Jewish narrative of what our own tablets look like when we have our own tradition. Why are we still doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And we have here in the handout, indeed, from this rabbi, the book that the rabbi is speaking about, it's called Be'er Eliyahu. His name was Eliyahu. He lived in Be'er Sheva, so he named this book Be'er Eliyahu. I don't know what his last name was, but Rabbi Eliyahu something. So it's a book he published called Be'er Eliyahu, and the rabbi references this book. Which is also very interesting. The Rebbe was a real, uh, uh, what's the proper word, a, a bibliographer? What was that? He was erudite. He, oh, every book that was published, the Rebbe wanted to get a copy of. There was always keeping his finger on the pulse of what's new in the world of Torah publications. There was very, so some random rabbi, you know, he's not a well-known rabbi. He just publishes his own book of Torah. So the Rebbe was on it. <laughs> the Rebbe knew that last year he published it and this is what he wrote. So says the Rebbe, Oh, sorry, we're quoting this book, Be'er Liyahu, Source 9. He says, I must note that this concept is foreign to the Jewish tradition. The Christian and non-Jewish artists are the ones that depicted the tablets with round tops. The same Christian artist who made Moses with horns made tablets with round tops. That's the artist. <laughs> and he's, this book says the shape is not only not ideal, it is best to avoid drawing it that way. It doesn't make any sense. And if you look up online, you'll actually see what is one of the earliest sources of the round-topped luchos. The round-topped, I believe it was in the 1300s, maybe even the 1200s. I think it was in Italy. I'm not, I, I, I wish I looked up the details. This was a while ago I looked at this. 1300s or 1200s, I believe in Italy. It was the very first time that they made Jews visually uh, uh, put, a, put something on their clothing that visually identifies them, which of course the Nazis did as well. So the Nazis did a Star of David. You know what they did? Two pieces of fabric put together to look like two tablets with rounded tops. 
It was the anti-Semites who, who forced upon us the non-Jewish look of the tablets. So, so why are we still doing this? And here the Rebbe speaks about this on the level of education. The Rebbe continues, top of page 10. The Rebbe says, there's an argument that is made in defense of keeping the round-top tablets, and the argument is that changing them would appear to be a negative statement about our predecessors who presided over our institutions that use this representation for many years. Like, look, you know, the previous great men of the previous generations were already doing this. So if we change it, it's implying that we're being disrespectful of our elders, being disrespectful of the founders of these institutions that put this logo. But the Rebbe says this argument has no weight when discussing a matter of educational importance. Education of the children takes most precedence. And the Rebbe says like this. Again, I'm, I'm very moved by the Rebbe's sensitivity for how children take things. The Rebbe was very, very sensitive to this. The Rebbe says, children receive certificates from their schools on which the tablets are illustrated with round tops. And this leads them to believe that such was indeed the shape of the tablets. And then later, the child will study the Talmudic passage quoted earlier, and he will discover that the impression he had as a result of studying at his school is contrary to the Talmud. His school made him believe contrary to his own Judaism. As a result, this child will lose his faith in his teachers and questions even the correct things that they taught him. And this goes in line. Deborah was so sensitive about education. Deborah said a parent or educator should never tell their kid a fake story. Deborah did not like um, uh, fairy tales. Children need to know that what they're hearing from their parents and their teachers are rooted in truth. Because the moment you tell a kid, oh yeah, this I said, it's not true. The kid also doesn't know, any, doesn't know anymore when to believe you and when not to believe you. All of a sudden, you, everything you say is suspect. And this is part of their sensitivity. Children need to know that if we're giving them Judaism, it is real, it is true, it is authentic. I'm putting you on a good foundation. I'm giving you the truth of our teachings. And what does it do to when a kid went to an institution for years and years and years and years, and all of a sudden he discovers that the very logo of his school goes against the Talmud? I don't know if I could... You know, the whole, his whole education falls apart. So the Rebbe says, this issue must therefore be corrected. It should not be dismissed as insignificant. I think most people, right, like what Leah said, most people say, eh, square around, what a big deal. It's just a logo. The Rebbe says, no, 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 no. The Rebbe was very... It's not insignificant. So it says, firstly, even minor issues should not be dismissed. <laughs> this is so Rebbe-esque. The Rebbe was big picture, but always in the details. Even small issues should not be dismissed. No such thing as an issue too small. <laughs> That's first of all. And then the Rebbe says, and in our case, what are we talking about here? We are discussing the tablets, which are the basis of the entire Torah. This is not trivial. This is not insignificant. This is highly significant. Okay, last piece over here. Page 11. There's also an additional concern here. It says there, but the source of the round top rep representation of the tablets is non-Jewish and contrary to the Talmud. When one uses the round top representation, they are effectively preferring the non-Jewish version over the Jewish version. You're sending a message that I'd rather what this non-Jewish artist had to make over what our tradition tells us. Again, not only is it misleading the child, it is giving the child a horrible message. I reject our tradition. I rather what they say. Horrible messaging. 
and just what it represents, even if it's even if you don't even realize it, it's unwittingly giving such a horrible impression. So the Rebbe concludes, this matter should be rectified from now on. And the Rebbe says it doesn't require much effort. Because letterheads, etc., are anyways reprinted from time to time. And just like the name of the president of the institution can be changed, <laughs> right? There's always a new board, there's always a new president, and you make a new letterhead. So too can the shape of the tablets, so that instead of round tops, the tablets will be square. And that's our Torah deep dive for this week. How the Rebbe took something which seems like a very minor issue. But the Rebbe was, uh, some of the, you know, what I see over here is that there's a, I think there's a lot of messages. Number one, no details ever too small. The Rebbe cared a lot about, about tradition. The Rebbe really, really cared about the Torah. The Rebbe was, the Rebbe loved the Torah and he cared. And even a minor issue the Rebbe cared about, and there's no such thing as a trivial issue. And also how much the Rebbe cared about it from the perspective of education. That uh, our children need to know that we're giving them truth. Or there's something which is so blatant that they're going to discover at some at some point in their life, inevitably they're going to discover that it goes against the Talmud, it destroys the whole foundation and the trust that this child had uh, in their education they received as a child. So very, very fascinating uh, piece here from the rabbi on this week's Torah portion. And with that, dear friends, I think our time is just about up. So I want to thank you all for joining oh. for another wonderful week of a Torah deep dive.